In the New Testament, we have a record of two letters which the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christian church in the Greek city of Corinth. Towards the end of the first of those letters, Paul, in just nine words, makes a statement about an event which changed the course of history and has changed the course of millions of lives since. This is what he says. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. There are three important parts to that sentence. First, someone is named. Then we're told that that person did something. And thirdly, we're told that what took place was the fulfilment of things written. And I want us to look at those three things for a short time. First of all, someone is named. Most people in the Western world at least know of the name of Jesus of Nazareth. They may not know much more than that, but his name they do know. After all, it's a name that is frequently heard coming from many of their mouths, albeit for all the wrong reasons. The historical existence of Jesus is beyond doubt. The Bible itself stands up to the most intense scrutiny. And then there are several secular historians who lived in New Testament times who mention Christ and his followers, and two writers in particular, Josephus and Tacitus, accept without question the existence of Jesus, the influence that Jesus had, and the well-known claims made about him by his followers. For example, listen to this that Josephus records. He was, he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. And when, upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had condemned him to a cross, those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them, spending a third day restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. Now of all the things that Josephus says there, did you notice what was the most striking and significant thing? He was the Christ. Earlier on, we read from Mark in chapter 14. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. The high priest knew exactly what he was asking. All those who were present understood exactly what he was asking. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying when he answered him. Are you the Christ? was the question, because there is only one. It's all about the true identity of Jesus of Nazareth. Everything that was making the Jewish leaders so angry and hostile towards him was centred around this one issue, who Jesus claimed to be. That remains the issue still. 
It always has been and it always will be. If Jesus is who he claims to be, then the things that he taught and the things that he did cannot be ignored. No one can dare to ignore him. Yes, he was the carpenter's son from Nazareth. Yes, he was a great and wise and compassionate teacher. Yes, he undoubtedly performed great and miraculous deeds. They are all matters which many people are prepared to accept. Well, maybe not the miracles, but none of those things were issues for which the religious elite in Jesus' day wanted him put to death. They'd have found those things irksome at times, but they probably would have tolerated him. No, there was something of far greater weight and significance regarding this man who was claiming to be someone very special. He was all those things, but he was claiming to be something much more than that. Are you the Christ? Are you the son of a carpenter claiming to be the eternal son of God and saviour? That one question which they wanted answered is the one question which today most people want to ignore. And they do so for good reason. If he really is the Christ, the Messiah of God, long promised through the Old Testament, if he really is the eternal God, then how can you possibly ignore him? But people want to ignore him. If this man really is God come into the world in human flesh, the one who declared a man's sins to be forgiven and then healed his paralysis in front of all of his friends who therefore knew that this was no phony con trick. If this man really is God who came into the world in human flesh, who when he asked for the grave of Lazarus to be opened was greeted with objections by those who'd buried him because they expected only to be greeted by the stench of death. If this man really is God come into the world in human flesh, who proceeded to bring Lazarus back from the dead in front of those who'd buried him four days earlier, who therefore knew that this was no clever illusion. If this man really is God come into the world in human flesh, who says that he is the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by him. If this man really is God come into the world in human flesh, who said that he has come into the world to lay down his life for his sheep, to seek and to save the lost, to be a ransom for many, if he is all that he claims to be, if he really is the Christ of God, then sin is a very real issue which will one day catch up with you as you stand before him as the righteous judge of your soul. And Paul's declaration concerning Christ, that he died for your sins, that is your only hope. 
Because secondly, Paul declares that this Christ did something. He died for our sins. You'll often hear it said that a person died from something or because of something. Right now, for lots of people, very sadly, it's coronavirus. Not so often will you hear that a person died for something. If you do, it will usually be for some sort of just cause. We're familiar with the concept of people who have given their lives for our freedom and our liberty. But even then, though they knew they probably faced death, they nevertheless did hope to escape it. And they did hope that they might come back alive. But Christ's death was different. It was intentional. It was actually the reason why he came. It wasn't an unfortunate consequence that he'd hoped to avoid. Yes, he was executed by the Romans under the, the manipulation of the Jews, but his death was his intention. He knowingly gave himself to death in order to accomplish something that could only be achieved that way. Simply remembering that Christ died is woefully inadequate. What his death was for is what makes his death to be of such significance. Think of it this way. What parent on losing a child has not felt that they would have gladly traded places with them so that their child might live? And they've really meant it. That really would be dying for something. Actually, dying for someone and that helps us to get closer to the real issue in chapter 6 of Romans Paul writes the wages the penalty the unavoidable consequence of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord the gift of God is eternal life because the death which is the wages of sin is eternal punishment and the gift comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how does that gift come to us through him? Well, think of the parent who would trade places with their child. That's what Jesus did at the cross for sinners. He traded places with them. And so we read in the New Testament, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see the trade in places there. Jesus becoming sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so the Bible tells us, Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. God demonstrating his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross in the place of sinners as their substitute, died in their place to pay the penalty for their sins, to atone for their sins. Hence the phrase that, you'll sometimes hear substitutionary 
atonement. All have sinned, says the Bible. All have fallen short of the glory of God, but may be justified freely by his grace through the redemption, through the price that has been paid that is in Christ Jesus. That verse where we began in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 goes on to say that Jesus was also buried and then rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And of course his rising from the grave is the glorious theme of Easter Sunday and indeed of every Lord's Day. Christ died for our sins and it was according to the scriptures. In the last of those readings from the four Gospels, there were four things which happened at the crucifixion which caused the writers to point out that in the Old Testament, those specific details had been foretold. In fact, there were more than four, but they're just the ones that they point out to us. Because all of this that took place on that day, God had planned and purposed. As you read the account of his arrest and trial and of the treatment that Jesus received, it doesn't seem at all unreasonable at first to suppose that at the end, evil men won the day. That Jesus did his best, but they eventually managed to get the better of him. That it was a brutal and tragic end to a beautiful life. And that it's in this story of a good life cut short that we are to take inspiration from Jesus. But as we've seen already, the Bible will not let us view Christ's death merely in those terms. Christ's death was a deliberate act in order to accomplish a very definite and specific result. And a further proof of that is in the way that so much about Jesus from his conception in the womb of a virgin to his place of birth, the early years he lived in Egypt, the return to Nazareth as his family home, and so many details regarding his death. All of these things are foretold in the Bible as the clearest confirmation that this Jesus of Nazareth truly is the only begotten Son whom God has sent into the world that whosoever believes on him may not perish, but have everlasting life. This is why we call this Friday good, even in the midst of all the bleakness. Instead of eternal punishment and ruin because of your sins, God, in the glory of his grace and mercy, holds out the offer of forgiveness and reconciliation. Life that has conquered death, heaven instead of hell, joy and peace instead of torment, hope instead of despair. How? By believing on him, confessing your sin and turning from it. The Bible calls that repentance. And then confessing Christ and turning to him by faith. Trusting him, giving yourself to him, believing all of the promises in the Bible, committing yourself to him 
as your Saviour and your God and your King. Christ died for your sins according to the Scripture. Just nine words. And what you will do with those nine words will determine where you spend eternity.